appreciate y'all so much. And I love that song. That was beautiful. Nicole, thank you so much for leading us in that song and everything that's going on. I praise the Lord for y'all being here. And I'm excited about uh, what the Lord has given me uh, for us this morning. Uh, has, I know some of you play this game, and uh, I played it as well, but it's that game where you, you say something to somebody, and then they go around the circle, whether it might be a sentence or, or something like a secret, and you say it, and it goes around, and by the time it gets back to you, you all know what I'm talking about. It's total opposite of what you said. Isn't that interesting that in a game, something just that simple? If that can happen in a game, what can happen in life? Right? You know, you, our, words, our, our words do matter. Uh, right? When somebody says, I think it was Dr. Cersei talking about this here, was a professor of English here, said, you know, when, um, when you say thank you to somebody, you text them or you email them or you, you write something or, or you speak to them and you say, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. You speak value to somebody. Your words do matter. It lifts them up, doesn't it? It changes. And so my prayer today is that these words will matter because sometimes we share things that are secrets and uh, in, in fun ways, but sometimes they get distorted. And so I want to pray today that the Lord will do something in our hearts. So we've been in the series, I can't but he can, so I must because he will. And it's been challenging me because this is one of the weeks that I had that I wish I would have known the secret of God. I wish I would have known, hey God, why don't you just tell me what you're really doing and all this stuff that I'm kind of struggling with, so then I'll know. If I have the end in mind, I'm okay. Right? If you know you're going to get better, you're okay going through rehab. Right? And, and sometimes that works out. But sometimes God just says, you know, we walk by faith in his word and not by what? Yeah, so in other words, it's all about trusting him. It's all about a focus on him. And, and people say, well, that sounds kind of convoluted, John. Why, why is he doing that? Well, the reason why is because the more we focus on him, then nothing else will captivate our heart. So that's what the gospel's done for us. And I want to make sure today that when we start this whole thing, that we understand the beauty of the gospel. And so I know I say it every week. It's not because it's the only thing I know, but it's the only thing I want to know. Y'all with me? That was good. You should, you know, that was all right. Right? I mean, the gospel is this. What is the gospel? The gospel has to deal with Jesus. It has to deal with us. It has to deal with the cross. Fair? That has to do it, right? So what happened? God, who was perfectly happy in his trinity, created us as an expression of his power and authority and his majesty and his glory. He does that. But what happened to us? We created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, so God created them, uh, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created us in his image. That is, we can have a relationship with God that dogs can't. We can have a relationship with God that definitely cats can't, Julian. Hey, Julian Martinez, he's, a, he's got a cat problem. They just love cats, and I don't think cats are going to heaven. All right, so anyway, that, that's, my, that's my point. And so, but my point is this image of this relationship. Genesis 1 and 2, everything's great. There's a, there's a, there's a garden that man didn't plant in. There's fruit. There's all the stuff that he could eat that he never planted. There was no storms. There was no earthquakes. He didn't need shelter. He didn't need a house. I mean, the weather was absolutely perfect. The water came up from the ground. There was no, I mean, everything was, there's no, uh, 
uh, sicknesses, there's no disease, there's no bad viruses, there's no bad bacteria, there's no bad DNA. How can they live so long? Well, if you were born perfect and your body begins to slowly waste away, you can live a long time too. So what happens is because of sin, there's a break. There's not just a width break, there's a depth break, there's a chasm. And, and so God begins to call and say, I am going in, the, in Genesis 3, I'm going to send a Messiah. And he's going to crush Satan. In Genesis 3.15, he's going to crush him. And so we see this, and how does he do it? He sends the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15, the firstborn of all creation. He sends Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to be the righteousness that we can't be, to have an eternal life that we could never gain without Christ. In other words, to be perfect that we cannot, so that we don't now get the wrath of God, we get the mercy of God. Is anybody tracking me? That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. It is that simple. It is that clear. So Genesis 1 and 2, everything's great in scripture. Revelation 21, 22, everything's great. And the rest of it is the journey of the promise and the fulfillment of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And any other gospel, anything added to that is a perversion. That's why the blood of Christ is so beautiful. He washes away our sins. The blood of Jesus not only removes it as a current, but purifies us as a picture. It's white as snow. That's the beauty of the gospel. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that's why we all have the propensity, or that is the natural inclination to sin. I don't believe when babies are born that they're born in sin. I, born, I believe that they're born with the propensity to sin. I don't tell, teach my kids how to be selfish. They just are. My parents didn't teach me how to be selfish. I just am. Somebody didn't teach people around us how to steal, but they do. I mean, it's just within our selfish, selfish, sinful DNA to do that. But God then changes our heart through the gospel. And so now, because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God, I love the picture of Jesus on the cross and this fiery wrath of God coming and it stops at Jesus and all I get is a picture of him and God. I love that. And that's what you and I have today. So now that we get nothing but mercy, this is why Hebrews 4, this is my prayer today. This is, our, this is the intro. We're going in. Ready? We're going in. This is why Hebrews 4 is so perfect. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore, I'm going to use King Jimmy, little King James, little old school. Some people in this room know what I'm talking about. You had, you had one Bible, and it was King James, and it was big, and it sat on your grandmother's coffee table, and you better not turn, turn it away from Psalm 23, or somebody going to get hurt. And if you ain't grow up that way, well, let me just tell you something. The, the Bible ain't going to move, but some hands will. Somebody's like, that's right, preach it. Plastic on the couch, you better not step on that carpet. No sir, no sir, children to be seen, not heard. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's like, my mom had carpet in the house. My kids were so bad. Every crib, yeah, they are. Bunch of bad kids. They were so wild that they were, there was a big room in my house, and you better not walk. Listen, it was vacuumed. 
Somebody know what I'm talking about. A certain way. You could see the lines of the vacuum. And my mother, she had Superman's eyes. Like she could see somebody's footprints on that thing. I was telling my kids, you better not go in there because I can't save you. I'm, I can't. They said, well, Jesus can. I said, he ain't showing up. <laughs> You're in trouble. <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying. I, that's, that's a, so we can come. But when King Jimmy shows up on this, I love this version, 416. He says, therefore, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what, saints? Grace. That means you and I, because Jesus, listen, I, I, but I sinned, John, I sinned. That's why we need Jesus. I said, well, I love this song. My sin was great, but Jesus is, yeah. And so what happens is now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And look what the scripture says, that we may obtain mercy. And then it says, and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Penal, penal, substitutionary atonement. He, the penalty. He was my substitute for the wages in his death. I should have died, but he stepped in. And so now I get nothing but mercy. And because of mercy, I get grace. Where there is no wrath, there's nothing but love. For God so, yeah, now you got it. So now. One of the most intriguing scriptures. Oh, we're going to today. Are you ready? Some of y'all are like, no, I'm leaving. John, you're sicko. Okay, pray for me, right? Revelation chapter 5. If you don't know how to get there, just go to the back of the Bible. It'll open up. Revelation chapter 5. Woo! We're going in. I want to get all Baptist cost and say, touch your neighbor and say, we're going in. Going in. Here we go. Revelation 5. So here's what's going to happen. So we see why we respond. We get nothing but mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Meaning his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13. When I'm faithless, he is faithful. For God cannot deny himself. That word, dunamis, he is not able to deny himself because God is not going to contradict anything. He invented the law of contra non-contradiction. He does not live by any contradiction. This is one of the most intriguing chapters. chapters. If, listen, I love preaching revelation at, at funerals. Oh, when there's a sweet saint that's going to be with Jesus, I go right to the gospel in Revelation. Revelation means unveiling. Hope's apocalypse, right? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, I, I love, well, there, was a, there was an artist many years ago. He, he titled a, a whole album that said Unveiled Hope. That's what he talked about Revelation. Beautiful. Uh, Michael Card. Here we go. Verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals you know seven is completion this is the picture of what all of the saints that have died on earth are seeing right now they're seeing a picture in heaven Oh, you said, but John, it hasn't come to fruition yet the Bible says now we know in part then we should know fully as we're fully known 1 Corinthians 13 and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the 
scroll or even look inside it. Come on, somebody. You know where we're going. You know Philippians 2, 5 through 11 to him, right? That there is no other name under heaven, right? In Acts 4, given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is proclaimed wildly and majestically in Philippians 2, right? That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on and under the and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at this. Verse 4. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. John, the beloved, the youngest of all the disciples, the only one not martyred for his faith in church history tells us, is weeping because nobody, nobody in heaven that he knows as of right now, can open up the secret things of God. Nobody in heaven can open up the secret. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Come on, somebody. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Don't you know that any secret Jesus can open up? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing. Oh, I just want to preach about that. How does it look slain but standing? That's because the grave can't hold him. At the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures. Man, listen, th listen, your, your Christian deceased family members and friends are seeing this right now. You don't see it because you don't see that dimension. I don't see it because I don't see that dimension. But let it be known to you and I that God is just not up there. God is multidimensional. He is not bound by space or time. He can be beside you, within you, around you, and above you. It don't matter. Then I saw a lamb looking as if slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. Then the elders, the lamb, had seven horns and seven eyes. Whew, come on, somebody. Complete authority. All those, remember the horns? The authority, right? Remember uh, the, the satanic influence? I have all those false horns and all that. So you read about that in Daniel. Read about that later on in Revelation. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. There's not a place on earth where the Holy Spirit can't move and declare that Jesus is Lord. God doesn't need me to be a missionary, though he calls me to be a missionary. And he calls you to be a missionary. But I just want you to know that if I don't show up, it doesn't mean that God can't. But we are to go. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of, who, of him who sat on the throne. God, this is just too wonderful to me. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Jesus. Each one had a harp. That means I will be able to play a song. God's going to give me a singing voice better than Jacob's. Each one had a harp and they sang a the, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the what saints? 
I want you to know that just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean that your prayers are not heard and they are heard with a song. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. A new song. Everything in heaven is new. If you think you like one song, now let me just break it down for you. Some of the people in the room that are a little bit younger than me, you don't know the flow that I'm about to flow in. See, you talk about getting lit, we already were. Because you put a little earth, wind, and fire, and a disco ball, somebody is going to show up. See, on earth, we play old music and remake old music. Just check out Disney Channel. But in heaven, every new song gets better. My, my kids sometimes tell me, Dad, that, that's, a, that's an old song. You, you know, that's a new song. I just want to look at them and say, your music ain't going to be played in heaven. John Davis won, losers nothing. All right, so, boom. And they say, yeah. Y'all know I ain't got no sense. Pray for me. All right, and they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, with your blood, you purchased men from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. All ethnies singing a beautiful song. You have made them to be a kingdom of what, saints? A kingdom and priests. A kingdom and priests. Exodus 19, Israel was called to be priests. 20, they rejected. And God goes from all the tribes to one tribe to be the priest. And then yet he promises us and Peter that we are the priesthood of believers. All priests. And look what it says, to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. I love this. And then I looked and heard a voice of many angels. Numbering thousands. You think, man, you walk your halls and you don't think your God is strong. You better watch out. You think the baddest guy in school is bad? You better watch out. Jesus looked at Pilate. He said, I can call down angels. You're no match for the creator. This is alive in heaven. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Because I can break down just because you don't see an atom doesn't mean it's not one. Mm-hmm. We want your logic there. Okay. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I love this. Look at the power of this. I love this. Then he says, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's go in. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that men's faith would not rest on uh, human wisdom, but on the Spirit's power.
And so, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would move past my weakness, my inadequacy, my man elect is low, um, my, my passion is not enough, and, and my, my body can be frail. But, Lord, the spirit inside me has been renewing this, this uh, tent that's wasting away in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this tent that's wasting away. You're renewing me inside day by day. And I praise God for you, and I praise God for these sweet saints because right now the bride is meeting the groom on earth. And one day, heaven will come to earth. And your bride will be ready. That is your church. And I pray that we'll be ready. Set us on fire for you, Lord, so that people will come to watch us burn. And so, Lord, thank you that you forgive us for our sins. We praise you and love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. You are so good. And, Lord, I pray that everybody would not only sense Jesus, would not only feel Jesus, or not only sense and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and be drawn into you, but God, I pray that they would put their trust in you and we would walk out of here never the same because every day we get closer to the groom, the bride gets stronger and gets stronger and gets stronger, not because of we, but because of him. So we look to you, Lord, and we sing this new song. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever in the name of Jesus all God's people say what? Come on somebody so what do I want to say it's on Facebook the notes I'm going to use a word but I want you to know this the gospel of Jesus here's the main idea here's the one point I want you to see today that the gospel of Jesus unlocks every mystery the gospel, I use the word unlocks because Piper uses this word unlocks, but I, I unlocks every mystery. There's Listen, you want to know your next job? Jesus has the plan. You want to know your next career? Jesus has a plan. You want to know your next step? Jesus has a plan. You want to know where I'm going to be? Jesus has a plan. You know what's going to happen to me after I'm gone? Jesus has a plan. He unlocks every mystery. Deuteronomy 28, 28, the secret things belong to God. But when Jesus shows up, he unlocks all of the secrets. He unlocks it. And he's that unlock in our life. That is why his word is our rock. He is our rock and fortress. Our word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So every time I step on his word, I'm stepping on Jesus who is my rock. So Matthew 7, I'm building everything on the foundation that's a rock. So when the storm hits, Jesus wins. There is not. He unlocks every mystery. Look back with me in Revelation chapter 5 verse 5. The one, the one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is what saints? Able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is the one who unlocks all mysteries. The gospel, because we're us being followers of Christ, Jesus unlocks everything. And I want to give you today some reason. I'm going to say, well, well, how does he do this? I just want to give you some, some ways, some reasons uh, that Jesus unlocks. How, what he can do. And so the first reason Jesus is able to unlock anything is that he holds the keys. He holds the keys. Revelation 1.18 says this. If you get this today, if you listen, when we go to Jesus today, when we're coming as his bride, you and I are his bride. Do you know that it is his bride? And when somebody takes a swing at the bride, they're taking a swing at the groom. What did he say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul was persecuting the church. In Acts 9, Saul was chasing the church down, and Jesus shows up and said, you're persecuting me. 
Jesus, the gospel unlocks every mystery. Every mystery here. So how does he do that? Well, how, how, does he, how is he able? First reason, Jesus is able to do anything, unlock anything, because he holds the keys. Revelation 1.18. Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys. Look what he says, the keys to death and Hades. So the keys to what? He holds the keys to death. What is uh, One systematic theologian, I think it was Wayne Grudem, said that death is where the body and the soul separate, and he holds the keys to that. That's why we know in Hebrews, once a point to be born, die, then face the judgment. God is the one who holds the keys to death. He knows when we're going to die, but he he also knows how to overcome the power of death. Jesus is our victor over death. Colossians 1.18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in, in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus is supreme over death. There is nothing. I don't care if it's a dead relationship. I don't care if your athletic career dies. I don't care if this business dies. I don't care if your uh, uh, relationship and your spouse and they separate. I don't care. I don't, there's not, listen, I want to say something. As somebody whose family members have experienced numerous breakups within marriage, I want you to know something, that there's a God bigger than divorce. He is powerful, and he is great, and he will unlock every mystery. Though you don't know what is next, he does. Man, he is supreme over death. Ephesians 1.22, check this out. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, look, listen to this, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Everything is under Jesus' feet. So that's the old preaching adage. Whatever is above our head is under his feet. That's where that comes from in Ephesians chapter 1. There's nothing. Jesus holds the keys to death. He can take anything that seems dead and God can resurrect. I mean, he, listen, he resurrected me. You say, but John, you haven't been dead, but I've gone through some dead things. How about you? You've gone through some dead breakups? You've gone through some dead ends? You've gone through some dead trials? You've gone through some things that maybe didn't work out like you thought they were going to work out? Here's the thing. Jesus is in the middle of that. He is, listen, Jesus has been to the grave, so we don't have to stay in it. Man, I'm holding on to him. What you going to do? What you going to think I'm going to do in my last breath? My last breath, I'm thinking about the one I'm getting ready to see, not the one I'm getting ready to lose. Mm. He put everything under his feet. Then maybe as soon as I read that, I thought, yep, Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15. I thought about it, and, and we talk about it all the time. And I will put enmity, that is hatred, that literally means hatred or the idea of enemies. And I will put enmity. This is what God is cursing the serpent. He's cursing Satan. And he says this. He says, I will put hatred. I will put, you will be the enemy between you and the woman. There will be enemies between Satan and us. Do you know that? Satan is not your friend, though he comes as an angel of light. He is our enemy. We are no match for him, but God is. You say, well, I just remember they were in a boxing ring, and they were fighting, and Jesus got knocked out, and he was out, and then he rose from the dead. I just want to tell you something. That's a terrible analogy. 
the creator will always destroy the creation. Satan can't hit Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. Nobody knocked him out. Nobody. And every dead thing that comes our way, God is fully aware of. And so there's this enmity that between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He's talking about Jesus is coming. And look what it says. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. I love that picture. I love that picture talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. Because when you strike somebody's heel, all I can think about in football, when somebody gets, gets their heel uh, sprained or turned, they go down, right? They go down, but they get back up. Why? Because they still got one good leg. You see, you might strike, he might strike Jesus' heel, but that same heel that he strikes is the same one that's going to come back and crush his head. Jesus stands. Satan is defeated. There's always a leg to stand on, and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. Whatever you're in, whatever you're praying through, whatever you're helping others through, there's always a leg to stand on. Well, he holds the keys of death, but he also holds the keys of Hades. I wish I had some time this morning to sit here and break this down. I've taught y'all before this, but I want you to know it is very clear about Hades. Hades is a, uh, a place called the city of death. Uh, Jesus talked about a parable, and he talked about the rich man and, 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 and Lazarus. And Lazarus was in this world, and he had sores, and it appears he was broke, and he was homeless. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And he was sitting there, and he had nothing. The dogs would come and lick his sword. In other words, you can be right with Jesus, and the world reject you. Mm. Come on. And then there's a rich man who has everything and dies. And he goes to the city of death. He goes to Hades, and then there's this place called paradise. It's this place where Lazarus dies, and he's, you know, has sores all over me, has nothing in this world, and he goes, he's in Abraham's bosom, he's being, it's a place of rest, it's a place of peace, and all of a sudden, uh, the rich man is in, in this place of torment. And they can see each other, but the, you, know, you know what the scripture says, there's a chasm between them. And that's why when Jesus died, he went to paradise. That's why he looked at the thief and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because why? He was going to the place where the souls of the saints that had died before Christ, and he takes them to heaven so that you and I, when we die, our souls go right to be with Jesus. He's a place of rescue. I love what one we said, Hades one day will empty up all the dead who are lost in Christ. And in Revelation we see there will be a great white throne judgment. He holds the keys. Listen, Satan can't get out. Only Jesus can unlock. So he has the keys to death. He has the keys to Hades. But you know what else Jesus has the keys to? The keys to the kingdom. Matthew 16, 15 through 19. I want you to look at this. He says, uh, Jesus was asking Peter, and he says to Peter, he says, uh, uh, who do people say that I am? They say, you know, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, you know, he's, uh, another prophet. And then all of a sudden, he looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter asked, or excuse me, answered. He said, you're the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of 
of the living God. Confessional statement. Confessional statement of salvation here. We see this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or bar Jonah, bar means son of, uh, Simon, son of Jonah. And then look what he says to him, and he, and he does something powerful. He says, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus unlocks every secret. If you don't know what to do next, go to the one who does. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus unlocks every secret, everything that we need to know, that we're going to need to know for the past, present, or future is in Jesus Christ. Here's the secret. Here's the example of Revelation 5. 5. Here's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here he is, the living one. The verse 6, the lamb as if slain, standing. Here he is, and this unlocked for Simon. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Petros in the Greek. Little stone, little small rock. I'm talking a rock that's like in your shoe, that bothers you, in your shoe. That small. He says, and so Jesus is going to reaffirm something. That's why Jesus calls him Peter. Because now he is a little rock. He's no longer Simon. He is now a part of something bigger. You and I, we're like little rocks. Satan wants to throw rocks at each other. Never mind. He says, I tell you that you are Petros. And on this Petra rock, large cliff, stone, huge mass boulder. He says, so think about what he's saying. He says, I tell you, you are small little stone. You are Peter, little stone. And upon this huge massive rock, Look what he says. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. So he took Peter that understood the gospel because the secret things had been revealed to him and he puts it into the big gospel message and all of a sudden Peter who might just be this much strong in the gospel can be this much strong because Jesus is his strength. Are y'all tracking me? That's really good, isn't it? what Jesus wants from us. When we are weak, he is. When I am poor, he is. Yeah. That's the idea. We are nothing but little small stones. We've been converted from this little sand and blown about by the wind and tossing. With, we don't have wisdom like in James 1, so we're tossed back and forth. But in Christ, the mysteries are revealed. In Christ. So when I don't even know it on earth, I know the one who knows it in heaven. I tell you that you are a little rock, and on this huge rock, this massive cliff, stone, the gospel of Jesus, I will build my church. Just to clear up any confusion, the rock is not a man sitting in a chair speaking the infallible words of God ex-cathedra. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, I'm saying it's not built on the Pope. Bless him. It's not. It's not what the scripture means in the Greek. Oh, I know what tradition is. I'm a, I'm a Catholic historian. 8100 to 450. I, I, I can tell you, I wrote, I wrote a big a paper on Cyprian at 8250. 
He was the one who coined the phrase that the Catholic Church uses today. I mean, I studied him hard in my master's in theology. My big paper was on him. He is, he is the, one of the main Catholic theologians. He said, no one could have God as their father and, have the church, and not have the church as their mother. And the Catholic uses it today. See, Protestants don't, Protestants don't think, they, most, you know, most of most Protestant historians, they really don't, they don't start really studying. They might study a little bit of Aquinas they, uh, like in medieval times because they like a little bit of his, you know, his apologetics and his logic. Or if, they, if they're going to be real spiritual, you know, they're going to start Martin Luther or, or John Calvin. Listen, let me just tell you about the home slices. Martin Luther and Calvin, those guys, there was a whole movement to get back to the Greek and Hebrew. That's where it all came from. And those guys were just doing nothing, especially Calvin was doing nothing but quoting Augustine. Back in the 400s and 300s. So we have the Presbyterian Westminster Confession. John Piper uses that all the time. That's nothing but Augustine. And I want you to know today, I'm not speaking ill of anybody or anyone, but this passage is not, the power and authority is not on the church. The power and authority is on Jesus Christ. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Look at this. And whatever you bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I don't want to get too technical, but you've got to understand something. Well, you know what binding and loosing is? I see all this stuff today. You see it from uh, uh, other churches that oh, I'm binding you in the name of Jesus. I'm binding this and I'm loosing this. And what are you saying? And, and listen, this is why you have to know the original language. Why are you watching when you read your Bible on like a little eight-inch black and white TV when you can watch it in HD with surround sound? In the languages. It's called, in the Greek, a future paraphrastic. It means whatever you bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. What it means in the Greek is whatever you bound on earth was already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is all loose on earth. You say, well, John, why doesn't the English language translate it that way? Because the English language is weak. Go to the Gospel of John, the very last chapter, when he, looks at, when he looks at Peter after Peter had sinned and denied Christ, and Jesus comes after him, and, and, and we get in Scripture, and you've heard, if you've been in church, you've heard sermons like this. It says, he, where Jesus would say, Peter, do you love me? And Peter would say, yes, I love you. And then he would say, like, feed my sheep. And then Jesus would say, Peter, do you love me? The word love there is not even, y'all have heard sermons on it, right? And Jesus says, Peter, do you agape on me? That's the right. That's the word for love, unconditional love. And Peter can't. He knows in his heart he can't. So he turns around to Jesus. He says, after Jesus says, "Do you agape on me?" Peter says, I, "I phileo you. I brotherly love you." And then Jesus asks him again, "Peter, do you agape on me?" And, and Jesus and Peter turns back. He says, "I phileo you. I brotherly love you. I don't unconditional love you. I brotherly." And then finally, the third one, Jesus looks at him and says, "Do you phileo me?" And Peter. Heartbroken. Yes, Lord, I follow you. But Jesus reinstored Peter at the love that he had because Jesus' love overcame the love that he didn't have. That's we miss it and we miss it in the English language. So I want you to know today that he has the keys to death. He has the keys to Hades. He has the keys to the kingdom. In other words, whatever he says, bind, bind. If he says, don't do that, that's bound, don't do it. If he says, go do this, then loosen. When we walk into places where people don't know Jesus, loosen them. 
You got the food to have the gospel of peace, Romans chapter 10. So when you walk in, people feel different about us because they go, how do you have peace in the midst of the circumstances? How do you have peace when your father just died? How do you have peace when, this, when your wife just walked out? How do you have peace when you don't have this finance? How do you have peace when you, you don't know what to do next in a major or to graduate or your roommates are crazy, whatever else? How do you have peace? You have peace because your peace is not on this earth. Your peace is in the one who is Lord over the earth. So I, I want to land with this. So the first reason that Jesus, the first reason Jesus is able to unlock anything is he holds the keys. But the second reason he is able to unlock anything, he is the lion who conquered. I think it was Piper who said that. Look at Revelation 5, Revelation 5 verse 5. The one who, or the elder said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. The reason why he can unlock anything is that the lion has conquered. It's already been done. And so now we walk by faith in places that have been destroyed and in battles that we're going to see spiritually. But we walk by faith in those places. So there's no, listen, so if you're single today, here's what happens. You know that your God has conquered your singleness. If I walk in a place today, I don't know what to do next. My God has conquered that. In the gospel, the word, the word there for triumph in the original language, it means to overcome. If the verb implies battle, it means this. It literally means this. I conquer, I prevail, I subdue. That's what Jesus does. He's the one who conquers. He's the one who prevails. He's the one who, who subdues. So when I am restless, he is restful. When I am confused, he is not. When I am hungry, he is full. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? So we see this idea, he's overcome. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 27 says this, For he must reign, he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. There it is, the Genesis 3 language. And in other words, he has overcome. He has the ability to unlock anything because he has overcome. Because Psalm, 1, Psalm 27, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Jesus can become the very thing that we need in our most desperate hour. And then I'd like to land with this. Is in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to ask if you can play over me, Jacob. Here's where it's so important that you get this. Jesus has conquered. I'm going to show you how he conquers. You have many examples of the cross. You have many examples of the resurrection. But I love, this is a sweet passage for me while I'm on earth. This has become a sweet passage in my, in my heart. And I pray that the Lord maybe would use this in your life today. That he would be this for you. In Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20. I want you to see this. We have this. Look what Jesus becomes for us. Our high priest. The great high priest in Hebrews 6. 7. 5. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus 
has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He's going to write on that in the next chapter. We see that. But I love 19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor. And here's what I want you to understand. This is why Jesus overcomes any situation. Because he becomes our anchor in the midst of any storm. Watch this. The word anchor. This is why I go back to the original language. Not only because we're taught this. Because the beauty of the original language. This is what the word anchor means. Listen to this. It really means this. At the root of the word. It means the arm, I love this, as the arm, so if you have a, a picture, we have a picture of an anchor, I, I don't know if we have that, I wanna, she's, all right, see this, see, see, see these two hooks at the bottom, the arm, this is what it means, it literally means this, the arm that's bent, see the bent parts, say bent, all right, y'all aren't with me, say bent. The word anchor means in Greek, the arm that was bent to receive a burden. That'll preach. Jesus is the one who's meant to receive the burden, not us. Cast all your cares on him. And then what First Peter says, five, chapter five, he's the one meant to carry the burden. That anchor. He's an anchor for our soul. He is an anchor. He is the one who can do it. He is the one. He's the one who makes all sense. So listen today. I want you to know it's the gospel of Jesus that unlocks every secret. The secrets to death, why there's death. The secret to Hades, why there's punishment. The secrets to the kingdom of God and the blessings and the power and what he's going to give us and how he's going to protect us. All is in Jesus. And today, he can be the anchor for your soul. He can be the anchor that holds it together. Everything is in Jesus. All the mystery of the gospel points to Jesus. Romans 16, 25 says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden from long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Colossians 1, 25 through 27. Colossians 1, 25 through 27 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. You see, Jesus unlocks all the secrets. To them God has chosen, verse 27, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's your anchor. He's the part of the anchor that's bent for the burden. Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery of that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together and the promise of Christ Jesus. Lord, I wish I had the ability to, to land this. But like someone prayed for me earlier to be, earlier to be accurate. 
Whatever you don't know, Jesus knows. And so the burden that comes along with not knowing, and sometimes the pain that comes along with not knowing, there's an anchor bent to hold the pain. There's an anchor built to hold the burden. There's an anchor built to hold us stable in Christ when we feel unstable. That's why Hebrews 7.25 says he saves to the uttermost because he always lives to intercede for us. The intercession of Jesus keeps us saved. That's why in Revelation chapter 5 verse 6, Then I saw the Lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Today it is my prayer that we look to the Lamb. Though he looks slain, he is standing. Though he bore our scars and he bore our wounds, it did not stop him because of it hadn't stopped him, it will not stop us because we have an anchor. So whatever it is that you and I need to pray about, I pray you just press into the Lord. Cast, cast it on him. I don't care what it is, whatever the next thing, cast on him. You know, my, my biggest concern is God, please. I, 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 don't, I want to preach with such anointing of you. Like the people would just come in droves to hear you. That's my, that's my, my burning passion is that there would be no apathy among believers. Today we have an opportunity because God is able. He is able. He's a conqueror that can do it. You can go to Romans 8, everything else. But he's interceding for us. Look what Jesus is doing. He is standing at the center of the throne. And all the worship centers around him. Verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I want you to know today, on the authority of God's word, that your prayers go up in front of Him. Are you willing to come to Him today and lay your heart out to Him? He'll unlock every mystery. All we got to do is just stay with Him. He has the keys to open every door. Sometimes I feel like, as a believer, I try to force open a door. I don't have to force open any door. I don't have to force open a job, a relationship, or anything. He will do it, saints. He will do it. But we got to trust Him. we got to put feet to a Some of you might want to come lay in front. Some of you want to kneel. Some of you want to stand and say He's worthy. But today, let Him write a new song in your heart that He is worthy. Let Him write it. Come to the king who can do it. I wish I had the passion and the power in myself, but I have nothing. It is only the Holy Spirit and his power that would draw you into his presence. Jesus' wounds remind God of our righteousness. There is no wrath. There's nothing but mercy. You can come to the throne of grace. And find grace to help you in your time of need. He's your anchor. Will you let him be it? Father, that is my prayer. Who in here needs today? They need a new song. They need to maybe come and kneel right now and say, I'm praying for a situation or this or that, whatever. They want to lie before you, Lord, and, and let you be the anchor. Who in here needs an anchor? Who in here? I don't know what it is. They need an anchor and a friend that's hurting, and they've been lift them up. Or someone who's in pain is hurting. They've been lift them up. Who in here needs an anchor, Lord?
Or we burn for somebody that's lost, or we burn for a situation, we burn for our family, we burn for sweet mates, or we burn for ourselves. He's the anchor. He is the anchor. God, I pray that we will flood right now. Even as I'm praying, it's not disrespectful to you. It is not unholy for you as you to move people. And then some of us in here need to sing a new song. That in the midst of the pain, there's one who can open up the secrets of God. And if he can open up secrets in heaven, he surely can open it up on earth. There's nothing that God will hide from his people when it's time to reveal it. So, Lord, we just lift up to you. Our eyes look to you. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we gaze at you. We glance at our problems. We just look to you, Jesus. We don't know. We don't know what the next step is. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But we thank you that you are our anchor in the midst of anything. You're an anchor that's bent to hold a burden. And you will do it. And you will do it. Lord, put a new song in our heart so we have a new bounce in our step that we walk in the authority and the mighty power of Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody in this room that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. And they know. They know it's not about just, I keep coming down and praying. I know it. I'm talking about their hearts are wrecked, that they got to be radically saved, that it is a call to die, that they not only deny themselves, but they lose their life for you. Luke 9, 24 lose their life and they'll find it there's a song that's being sung Lord and you're asking people to join that song worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor Lord we just call out on that name and if there's someone in here that doesn't know you may they, may they be wrecked by their sin but be more enthralled by their savior and believe that Jesus died on the cross and God, you rose him from the dead. Lord, change us. Change us now. Lord, I pray they'll let people know if they call upon you for salvation. I pray people in here, sisters and brothers are saved. They'll, they'll be prayed over. They'll, they'll let people that have an anointing from God and a call of God to be praying over them and encourage them as they dig into the anchor. I pray, Lord, that whenever we doubt, Help us to realize that Jesus unlocks every secret because he is able. We worship the one around the throne to receive all praise and honor and glory and strength. We praise you worthy as the lamb slain.